0: is the electile dysfunction podcast with ashton cohen ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the electile dysfunction podcast ashton cohen i'm ashton cohen i'm joined today by lee ohanian lee is one of the most astute writers and commentators on the topics of california california public policy he is a professor of economics at ucla and a senior fellow at the hoover institute and which i highly recommend reading some of his writings posted there uh, he is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. So, Lee, thank you so much for uh, being on with me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Ash. I'm glad to join you. Absolutely. Uh, so talk about California, a subject you're intimately familiar with. We have 367,000 people who have left this year alone from California, or 2021. Uh, about a million people net over the last decade. LA Times poll recently came out, 54% say The state is headed down the wrong path. The majority around the same number 53% are considering leaving, including 63% of millennials. So, so much for, uh, representing the interests of the young, the vast majority want to leave. Uh, obviously a lot of this almost all of it due to economics, you know, the California ranks 49th out of 50 in terms of income equality, Uh, and that's measured by the Gini coefficient. Uh, then you add to that, a bunch of other factors which we'll get into like being the most expensive place to live, having some of the most anti-business regulations in the country, um, failing schools, substantial increase in crime. So why is it that the most progressive place in the country that sort of, and the people who run this state see themselves as representing the interests of the middle class, of the working class, the young, how have they created some of the worst outcomes in the country for those very demographics?
1: Right. it's. Um, I mean, California now represents a very, very sad story, um, in, in my opinion, and you know, my perspective is one from being a kid who grew up in California in the 1960s and 1970s. And I worked in California after, after I got a college degree, and then I went away. For a while I went away, I left California in 1988. So I live in California grew up in the 60s and 70s, worked until 1988, and I was gone uh, for 11 years. I went to, I get a PhD in economics, and my first teaching job was at the University of Pennsylvania, and then I taught the University of Minnesota become, before coming back in 99 to ge- teach economics at UCLA. And in those 11 years, um, the California I saw between the time I left and the time I came back <clears throat> was, was recognizable, but, but very, very different. And today, after having lived in California another 22 years, California today is really unrecognizable from what I was used to growing up as a kid. So, you know, for for my friends and I as kids, it seemed like everything was possible. It seemed like anything was possible. Anybody could make it in California. Um, It seemed like the sky was the limit. And now particularly for young people. So you mentioned millennials are, uh, <laughs> almost two out of three millennials are thinking of leaving. And and I can certainly understand why. California is incredibly expensive to live in. It's it's really the most expensive state in the country to live in. H- Hawaii might technically be more expensive, but Hawaii is a bit of a one-off because of you know, just the way it is. Um, but California is just uh, is just remarkably expensive. And when, for example, millennials are thinking about moving, they're looking at a median home price of over $800,000 within the state. And if you combine that with the idea that, um, if they're saying, hey, I wanna be where the high paying jobs are. So Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Los Angeles area, San Diego, essentially what we would call coastal California. And if they're thinking big and saying, you know what, I'm gonna have a family, I'm gonna have a couple of kids, And I'm going to have that, you know, California dream, you know, that, that median price home on the California coast is probably closer Mm -hmm. to 1.5, 1.8 million. And so just think about what's involved in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, landing that fish in the boat, um, 20% down payment on a home that size is $350,000. I mean, how many... I mean, 25, 30 right. year olds have have that have access, have that, or even have their parents or or grandparents have access to that. And then when you're thinking about qualifying for a mortgage, a conventional mortgage on that, um, and now mortgage rates are up to about four and a half percent, so they more than doubled. They've more than doubled in just the last two or three months. Um, there's just really a very small, small number of people who can swing that, who even can think about swinging that. So it's not all surprising people are thinking about leaving because it is, um, for a lot of people, it's just untenable. And they don't want to think about continuing to live in a 400 square foot one bedroom apartment in, um, in a dicey neighborhood. Um, they want to go off and, 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 and start their lives. And you look at places uh, where Californians are moving to, Idaho, Wyoming, Texas, uh, Tennessee. You you can in you know, some of these areas, um, you know, instead of needing 1.5 million to get a decent home, uh, 300,000 uh, buys you a really really nice home in some of these areas. Uh, property taxes are lower. Uh, other aspects of the quality of life, which which we'll we'll get into, are better. Um, and it's really a situation where you know, as, as a lifelong Californian, except for you know for about. A, a, for about eleven-year period when I was gone, um, it's just night and day different, and um, and it's not like it's not like the ocean liner is turning around um, and heading in the right direction uh, to resolve and address these problems. Um, these are all policy problems, and you know, in terms of the folks who are listening, um, there's a tendency among people in California and among a sales pitch that politicians give. This is really a political problem. It's a problem with political leadership people think that god you know yeah it's expensive to live here and yeah look at you know the house down the street just sold for a million dollars who would have thought that well you mm-hmm. know what can you do well it's right. not what you can do what can you do it's not like the weather <laughs> but people think it's like the weather yeah, yeah. there's nothing you can do about it politicians television, vision that it's like the weather there's nothing you can do about it but The quality of schooling, the quality of roads, the fact that we don't have enough water, the fact that it's so expensive to live here, the fact that crime has has come to the point where people are often scared to go outside. Those are all policy problems that can be addressed and the needle can be moved substantially with the right policy changes, but sadly we now have political leadership that is very different, again, I'll just go back to, you know, my, 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 my little allegory about like when I was growing up as a kid, the political, which was a uh, Democratic governor, uh, Pat Brown, um, you know, bipartisanship in the in the State Senate and Assembly, but what passes for politics today would have never been tolerated under a Democratic governor, Pat Brown. Um, I've written, you know, some things I've written about, um, Pat Brown in his budget statements has written, uh, has made statements such as, we thank the taxpayer. We use their precious tax dollars in the most efficient way and we can honestly say when we go to bed at night that they are getting a return on their investment in schools and bridges and hospitals and colleges and state highways that is at the same rate or higher than they're getting on their private investments. Today, you know, I mean, my, the column I wrote this this week um, was about Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom, saying, hey, we spent almost $13 billion on homelessness in the last two years. Isn't this great? Well, homelessness got 7% worse to, during this period. Right. That performance would have been just unacceptable mm-hmm. under the Democratic leadership at that time. There would have been accountability. People, people who would be involved in that process would no longer be involved in that process. The, the idea would be, you know you just burned up 13 million dollars. Right. Um, you didn't move the needle. You know what, yeah. you're out of this job. We're gonna find somebody who can do the job. And that is, um, that's simply not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have accountable politicians and this really, you know, voters have to demand for accountability. They have to demand, where are my tax dollars right. going? They have to ask, why is there still that pothole in the road and it has been there for three years? Why are my schools failing? Why are businesses leaving? Why is my, you know, why am I struggling every month to pay the rent? Um, These are the questions people have to ask. And sadly, until they ask those questions and make those demands, there won't be changes. Because I am sad to say this, political leadership in California now, it's not leadership. It's a group of people who primarily have their own personal idiosyncratic visions and agendas that really don't coincide whatsoever with what voters want. Voters want the basics. They want the they, they want schools and roads and bridges and water that works when they get out of bed in the morning. They want to have their lives completely politicized, um, so, and they want they want those they want those politicians to be doing the jobs that they elected them for, and that they're paying their
0: salaries for. So not to rename schools after Abraham Lincoln, right? They actually want actual results done, <laughs> right? Or not not take down statues they, as much. Be concerned about actually helping people's lives. So,
1: yeah, yeah the, um, there's been complete loss of what government is supposed to yeah. do. Government is, you know, and again, it's, um, I mean, what I often tell people is, um, hey, you know what, if you hire a plumber to come to your house, you know, they fix the drain. You don't really aren't there to talk to them about politics and pay pay them for their opinion on politics or ask them about, you know, gosh, should, should we have a more utopian society? Mm-hmm. They're there to fix the drain mm-hmm. <laughs> and the roofers there to fix the roof. And the electricians is there to fix the outlet, and that's it. And government is there to make sure that public goods and services are provided at a reasonable quality and at a competitive and efficient price, and that's it. And, and, and that's it. They do the job of government. They're not there to tell us how we run our lives. They're there to make sure the schools function properly. And Ashton, you just brought up the idea about what's going on in San Francisco where the San Francisco, where three members of the San Francisco uh, Unified Mm -hmm. School District's board were recalled with overwhelming majority, 72 to 78%. Because while San Francisco schools stayed closed, and again, ironically, what you pointed out, the people who are most vulnerable, um, oftentimes black kids, Hispanic kids, poor kids, whatever, shape size or color um, they their, their parents don't have the money to hire tutors or to get online mm-hmm. instruction those kids suffered enormously absolutely um, in Cal- you know San Francisco schools they closed they closed they closed parents were imploring them please open the schools stay closed stayed closed stay closed and what did they spend their time doing well they're fighting white supremacy
0: it's more important. Yeah, they, they,
1: they, they thought these people who were just recalled but by kind of a three-to-one margin, mm-hmm. they thought somehow in their mind, they thought they were elected. So the San Francisco School Board is elected. They thought they were elected to wipe out white supremacy and racism and know what they're there for is to make sure those black kids and Hispanic kids and white kids and Asian kids, they all get a quality education. They all get a quality education, and they're getting, you know, a, a horrendous education to some of those schools. I mean, some of those schools, 95% of black kids and Hispanic kids
0: are are not at proficiency right. or above
1: yep. in math.
0: California's so 45th on math and science of, of all the states. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah.
1: And we think about, um, so when we think about the jobs of tomorrow. We think about the ability to use technology and mathematics and science and be able to think linearly and critically, which are broader implications of a mathematics background, a training background, where A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D. Can you carry out can you carry out a complex set of instructions? Mathematics is about carrying out a complex set of instructions these kids aren't gonna have a chance to, mm-hmm. they're, they're not gonna have any chance at these jobs. They're doomed. Right. I mean, they're, 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 they're nine or 10 years old and they are doomed. Uh, 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 you know, and, Unless there's some substantial interventions between now and when they finish right. high school. And this is before the Basically, pandemic, of course.
0: Right? Yes,
1: before the pandemic, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and again, you, you, you know, if you wanna talk about racism, Look at that San Francisco school board. They are the ones who are in charge of the product. The product is miserably failing, and one of the one of the uh, school board members, who was I think maybe recalled by I think close to eighty percent, she um, she quote I don't have the exact quotes, but I want to try to say it. But she uh, made references to Asian American parents mm-hmm. that um, that they were practic- practicing white supremacy. Right. Yes. And within you know within certain Asian communities, um, education is incredibly highly valued. So those are kids who are sitting in front of Khan Academy at night and who are working with their parents on math on the weekends, and they've got their chemistry sets out. And this is called white supremacy. Um, it is just um, it's really unforgivable it's because these are children. These are the lives of children right. that we are damaging. And I'm glad that San Francisco voters are starting to wake up. Um, uh, it, it, you know. The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and I really hope San Francisco continues on this path because um,
0: this is so destructive. I hope so. I hope it's not blimping. It uh, seems like the, the tent of white supremacy is getting larger by the day. Jews are white supremacists. Larry Elder is a white supremacist. Asian concerned parents are white supremacists. Uh, and, there, and on Twitter today, by the way, the uh, I, th- I think it was like the progressive Democrats handle or of California blamed it on white supremacy as usual, which is just, I mean, asinine, especially a place like San Francisco. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see many white supremacists there. Um, I wanna get back to the issue of, of housing though, because that we sort of glossed over that. And I think it's a, it's a very interesting issue. So uh, I grew up in the 1990s. California was still actually relatively affordable back then. Some of those places that were selling for you know a couple hundred thousand, three, 400,000 uh, are now lo- you're looking at, like I said, 1.5 million, 1.8 million. Um, and it, it's interesting that a lot of these places where progressives run, the housing tends to be more unaffordable, right? I, I don't know, what, what is progressive about that? So the whether you're looking at Hawaii or places in New York or Connecticut, and and you mentioned something as well, Lee, about this idea that, oh, well, it's just like this. I've, I've heard this a few times too. It's like, oh, it's just a sunshine tax. It's like, well, it doesn't, there doesn't have to be a sunshine tax. There's Florida that doesn't even charge you know, personal income tax on the state level. Washington state is now a liberal state, still doesn't charge income tax. Oregon doesn't charge sales tax. And there are plenty of nice places around the world where they're paying a fraction of the taxes that you do in California. So it doesn't have to be this way. So what is it, uh, what changed? Obviously some of it was, I'm sure population increase, some people moving here with with the whole Silicon Valley boom and all that. Um, But what was led to such insane housing prices and why have, progressive has been okay with that
1: yeah so Ashton you bring up um yeah there's 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 you make two really good points I'd like to build off of and and, and one is a point that um that's out there in the ether that flies under the fog and that people just aren't aware of which is um uh, 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 I'll, t- I'll start telling you the following story um um you take someone like Mark Zuckerberg Okay, lives in San Francisco, and he also has a home in Silicon Valley and probably has a lot of homes. Um, I don't know how many billions of dollars he is worth. I know he's. I know he's belongs to the Democratic Party. I don't mean to make this partisan, but when you ask what is progressive about keeping home prices high, well, you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg, and then you look at, um, let's say, uh, an immigrant family in the Central Valley. Um <laughs> Uh, who may also be a members of the Democratic Party, and you ask, you know, what does that immigrant family of Mark Zuckerberg have in common? Zero. They have literally right. nothing mm-hmm. in common. Okay, and so this is the point that flies under the radar, which is um, they're a group of very influential, extremely wealthy, um, politically very liberal people in California, Um, who are all for making California and California cities, which you might call sanctuary cities, Uh um, who are wonderfully appreciative and supportive of California taking the lead on climate change and green energy, even if it drives up the cost of housing Uh enormously. Um, So right now, when you construct a new house in California, by law, it has to have solar panels. Okay. there is an exemption if you have a lot of shade trees on your house and the sun just can't break through um but is it every new house every new home now has to be built with solar panels oh wow yeah yeah there are some exemptions but uh for the most part this took place i think the law took effect in um january 2020 I believe um and not just solar panels but also incredibly energy efficient glass. So double pane or triple pane glass, super energy efficient appliances, um, all of which developers have told me will raise the price of the average California home potentially by forty to fifty thousand oh, wow. um, dollars. And you know, and so you're just adding, really adding insult to injury uh-huh. to people who already can't afford an housing, and now saying, hey, you know what? I am, uh, not me personally, but again, if we think about this group of people, very political liberal, very wealthy, very successful, who are saying, yes, we're for green energy, we're for fighting climate change, we're with you. Uh, They don't mind tacking those costs on everyone else because they feel good to know that their home state is out in front and taking the charge on climate change. Even if it really punishes, even if it really punishes that immigrant family in the middle of the San Joaquin Valley, because they can't—they already can't afford a home, much less afford a home right. with uh, the most energy-efficient insulation and glass mm-hmm. in a state that has one of the mildest climates in the world. Right. So you've got this fundamental disconnect between the personal agendas of progressives mm-hmm. and and everyone else. And when it comes down to asking. You know this same group of people hey how about a low-income 15-story apartment building right across the street from you mm-hmm. well you know what they're gonna say right <laughs> not in my backyard mm-hmm. and they're gonna fight it tooth and nail in mm-hmm. fact there was um, this re- really amusing story uh, about two or three weeks ago there's a small town uh, in Silicon Valley called Woodside um, per capita income um, is among the highest in the country um, in terms of politics, only 15% are registered Republicans. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. one. Republicans are scarce in California, but yeah. just just 15% really scarce in Woodside. Um, now, when you mentioned SB9, uh, SB9, Senate Bill 9 was passed to try to increase housing supply in California. Mm-hmm. And just as a little bit of a backstory, there have been bills every year trying to expand housing in California by essentially introducing multifamily homes mm-hmm. into neighborhoods that have been zoned as single family.
0: Homes. Right, so SB9 allows you to have an ADU, essentially, to, to build an accessory dwelling units uh, on, your, on your home, right?
1: Yeah, it, it allows for an accessory dwelling unit. Some people call them granny flats. Um, mm-hmm. It also allows for construction of up to four individual living Right. Living situations. So for example, you could have two duplexes or a fourplex. Mm -hmm. And so to get that through, now to get that through, there were all sorts of exemptions written into SB9. So at the end of the day, the Turner Real Estate Research Center at UC Berkeley that does a really, really nice job, they have a lot of interesting reports they produce, they came out and said, you know what, SB9 is not really going to move the needle. One, you know, one reason being that there's a lot of exemptions, and ironically, what was built into SB-9 is the idea, And this is really, really very subversive uh, if you're a housing advocate. If you're a housing Uh building advocate, then what I'm going to tell you right now is incredibly subversive. Um, It was advertised that, well, if this bill passes, corporations are going to come in and buy out homes and turn that home, into a fourplex so corporations aren't allowed to come in and buy that home and turn it into a fourplex right. it's got to be owner occupied mm-hmm. and so you can put up your duplex or fourplex if you want but guess what you've got to own that home outright mm-hmm. if you don't your mortgage covenant will not allow you to do that it simply won't allow you to do that so,
0: so if you have a mortgage the day, on your home you
1: can't uh... Make use of Yeah, this? no, I mean that mortgage is on the, is on a single family home. You can do a remodel, mm-hmm. but the idea that that you, you you would have to go back to the bank and say, "Hey, here's what I'm going to do," because they are the they are the stakeholder in your decision to buy that single family home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you have to own the land outright, or perhaps you could go negotiate with wow. the bank or whoever owns the mortgage. Um, okay, so when I say subversive. Yeah how many people outright own their homes (laughs) in California. I mean, I've got a big mortgage on my Mm -hmm. home. Um, uh, And so getting back to Woodside, what Woodside did is that again, very, very politically liberal, very wealthy, one acre, lots, big rambling homes, bucolic lifestyle, that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. They don't want fourplexes, they don't want duplexes, they don't want increased density, so guess what they did? they applied for Woodside to be a natural habitat for an endangered species, the California mountain lion. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and and it made me laugh because I thought, you know, um, <clears throat> I mean, I know people who live in Woodside, uh, and I know the Woodside is sort of a haven for dogs, because I have visited friends there. And then you see like lots of these little dogs, you go to cafes or restaurants, and there's lots of these little dogs. And my, and my dog, who unfortunately you heard earlier, he's a little dog. And I thought, you know, since when do the owners of, of you know, eight pound Pomeranians and six pound Toy Poodles, since when are they the friend of the California Mountain? Right. Uh, so, so this is the extent to which they wanted to go to prevent building in their area. Unbelievable. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, progressive politicians, um, very wealthy progressive political backers. You know they aren't necessarily more often than not they're not the friends of of those people who are really struggling to live in california yeah that that, that
0: that tends to be the theme and and they always they create this veneer that they somehow care about middle and working people but everything they do basically stands in opposition to them makes their lives even harder and that's why they're moving to evil places like texas where that same family who's making you know well i think in, in san francisco if, if your family is making hundred twenty thousand, you are basically eligible for government benefits because that's making nothing in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. right? All your money's going out the drain, especially with a 10% uh, income tax. So, and then they could go to the place like Texas. I was just in Austin a couple of weeks ago and Austin's the most expensive city in Texas. And even there you can find something for like 450, 500,000, like a good house in a decent neighborhood, good neighborhood.
1: Absolutely, no, that's absolutely right. And there's there's a county in Texas, I, I can't recall where it was, but there's a county in Texas that at one time it had been 95, um, it was primarily um, Hispanic families living in that county. At one time it had been 95% registered Democrat. It's Uh now 60% registered Republican. And I'm not trying to be partisan about this. I'm I'm a political independent. Um, Right. But at the end of the day, um, people want their political leaders to deliver a product And not just talk about it and what they, at least in California, the political product that's being developed is one that caters, the one that caters to, you know, for lack of a better name, the Mark Zuckerbergs progressive California, Mm -hmm. um, the elite, um, who don't mind having home prices go up because we're all in for climate change, Mm -hmm. um, who don't mind putting the Price of that on the backs of you know incredibly poor people right. um, who are going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that they don't have a lot of poor people living down the street from them. Um, mm-hmm. And when you think, uh, you know, when you think about um, you know kind of who has your back, um, you know, I as I mentioned, I'm a political independent, but I was an advisor for um, three of the California gubernatorial recall um, candidates. Um, Larry Elder is one. Mm-hmm. And, um Caitlin Jenner is another and Kevin Faulkner was another and Larry ended up getting the most traction of any of those folks and um you know when you mentioned that you know in the press and the LA Times called him the black face of white supremacy <laughs> I just thought this is um it, you know, I just thought I have it, is is this what we've become like is a Babylon article sort of, yeah uh-huh. is this is this what we've become and um and I've known Larry for uh, a long, long time. I appear on his radio show, you know, four to six times a year. Um, and what California would have gotten with him as a governor is someone who wouldn't have imposed his own political issues on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Now, he was pilloried about his personal feelings about abortion versus pro choice. And, you know, he told me after the election, he said, Lee, you know, how can people be worried that I'm gonna I'm so, I'm gonna somehow come into a state of 40 million people and say my major priority is right. to make a fortune? Harder to get No, I'm gonna make sure you know when you turn on the faucet, water is gonna come out, and the schools work, mm-hmm. and there's not potholes in the roads, and that it doesn't cost mm-hmm. $500,000 to build a low-income housing unit. That's what I'm gonna try right. to do. And yet, in the last you know, in the last week or two before the election, the recall election, um, I mean, I have to say the Democratic Party was genius in terms of the strategy they came up with. All they did—they didn't talk about Newsom's accomplishments. They said Gavin's fighting for—he's fighting for climate change and he's taking the lead on dealing with the pandemic and etc. But they went after Larry Elder. Right. Uh, ad after ad after ad Gavin had tens of million dollars in a political war chest that he could just throw out at that he had Barack Obama to make all the Netflix money, and nice. mm-hmm. and, um, and so now we, we sort of ask okay well yeah, here we are sitting mm-hmm. here the same potholes on the road the same underperforming schools it costs an arm and a leg to live here taxes have taxes have are, are still very high businesses are leaving my friends are leaving okay what, what's next? Right. And what's next is going to be more of the same.
0: Right. And I respect that you don't want to make it into a partisan issue. Unfortunately, largely due to the fact that there's now a disassociation, as we're discussing, like between the progressive left or the people who actually control the shots in the... Democratic Party, particularly in California, which is often precursor to the rest of the country, and we're seeing the rest of the country, and the traditional pro-labor left. So when we, as you mentioned in your, in your recorder in the beginning with Pat Brown, right, the Democratic Party used to be the pro-labor party. And, you know, that was, that was the sort of, you know, Democratic Party that uh, I liked to a certain extent as well, you know, I mean, even if I didn't agree with them on certain things, um, you know, maybe 30% of the time, 40% of the time I did. And you see it right now with this whole, like, truckers thing in Canada and, the people who claim to have always been for the working people are now calling these people Nazis and they're vehemently against, you know, truckers protesting, right? The, mm-hmm. the working class, the working class is blue-collar as it gets, right? Uh, and, and you see you see this sort of disconnect and then you see it with, um, with, with these other things that we're discussing as well, where it's labor and actual sort of wages and the traditional sort of blue-collar working sort of issues. The you know union issues right like the um are sort of pushed aside for some of these luxury beliefs right these niche issues like transgenderism or crt or uh even you know gavin Newsom announced recently that, that like a texas uh california would be an abortion sanctuary and they'll, they'll pay for people to come here and have an abortion it's like okay fine but like that's really your priority while everything else is is going to shit and with, I didn't even know what you told me about the the SB nine, and that was something where I I completely agreed, and that was something that Democrats were instrumental in pushing. I didn't know about these exemptions. I mean, that's that pretty much fits the whole purpose of it. If you have to own the land, and we're talking about one point five million dollar homes, you know, on average in some of these cities, uh, so that kind of is at the heart of the problem. And you mentioned this Woodside place, right? So the ten biggest zip codes and the, the ten wealthiest zip codes in the country are all Democratic, right? So you do see this interesting sort of shift. And it's unfortunate because we need you know both parties to sort of have have in mind, you know, small businesses and working class people around these sort of niche issues. Real quick on, on the housing issue, CEQA, that makes things very expensive as well. Can you sort of go, go through what what that is briefly?
1: Sure, sure. So um, California Environmental Quality Act, so the acronym has become CEQA, C-E-Q-A, and was signed into law in, uh, I believe, 1970, by, by then Governor Ronald Reagan, um, who was a Republican who was a fierce advocate for the environment. Um, again, if you want to think about elitism, Reagan was a wealthy guy. He had a huge ranch. Um, he loved to go horseback riding the the California, California wilderness. Um, he understood that there should be environmental protection, we just can't run roughshod over it. Um, Fair enough. Mm -hmm. The law wasn't written very well. One aspect with the law wasn't written well is that CEQA requires that any development, um, now any development means any development, um, needs to make sure that there's not damage to the environment. Well, what development doesn't do Mm -hmm. damage to the environment? I mean, by by construction, we're going to put a... We're going to put up a building, we're going to take out some chaparral. So what should have been written into that law is some type of cost-benefit calculus, which is, hey, you know what, we're going to build new housing, this has benefits. But you know, the, the, the most important lesson in economics is that there's trade-offs. Nothing comes for free, and we have the analytical ability to value these trade-offs. So that should have been part of the law. Um, I and some other economists continued to try to implore the you know state legislators to modify the law. And there are some in the Democratic Party, including a uh, lieutenant governor, Eleni Kunalakis, who are very ver- favorable towards that. Uh, Pat Brown's son, Jerry Brown, um, sort of went back and forth yeah. on this, but towards the end of his second term, um, he said, you know, we just can't continue to have CEQA the way it is. Um, it is just being used to stop development or to threaten or use lawsuits to lever goodies from the outcome of development for special interest groups. So uh, I'll give you just a quick example of how CEQA can drive the cost enormously. There's uh, near Valencia, uh, which I think is where Magic, Magic Mountain is. Um, theme park is. Right. Not too far not too far from there. And it's kind of, you know, 35, 40 miles outside of LA, roughly speaking. So possibly called the bedroom community. Back in 1994, a planned community um, for 60,000 people um, was created. And the idea people behind the submitted plans for this new 60,000 person planned community. Okay. And it's out in wide open country. Um, formerly agricultural land, but you know, acres and acres of just, you know, trees and grasslands and chaparral and brush. And that was in 1994. Um, The final plans for this community were finally eyes dotted and T's crossed, I believe in 2018. (laughs) 24 years. 24 years. Still not not one house has been built. Wow. I mean, it's it's in the process, and during this and during this time, I think the original developers filed bankruptcy. It's okay. gone through different, you know, Then uh, I, it's yeah. gone through so many names. But that's like, almost yeah, as old as me. All of them, <laughs> uh, and um, and you know, under there were many, many SQL lawsuits. <clears throat> and one of the one of the real challenges to sequel is that you can file the same lawsuit again and again. And Are and you kidding me? No. And if you want to know the the last lawsuit that was finally settled, mm-hmm. uh, an environmental outfit, who I believe is headquartered uh, just outside of Phoenix, mm-hmm. so not even I think they have an office in California, but um, you know they filed a lawsuit, an environmental lawsuit, and they didn't decide to settle that lawsuit or drop it until the developer. Agreed to put in twenty thousand electric car charging ports. Oh my God. Okay, now think about think about the numbers. This is a city for this was going to be a plan community for sixty thousand people. I think now it's probably down to forty five or fifty thousand people. Right. You know, in California, there's there's about one car per three people. Right. Okay, so that's going to be about fifteen thousand cars. Mm-hmm. About two percent of our car stock is electric. Mm-hmm. So two percent of fifteen thousand cars is what three hundred cars? Mm-hmm. So in what in what calculation does twenty thousand right. electric car charging ports make sense for a community that's gonna have about three hundred Teslas? So this is the kind of insanity that's, you know, this, and, and, you know, if you think about the incentives and the interests of those who are filing these lawsuits versus people living in California Mm -hmm. and, you know, want to live in one of those homes that's now 25 years delayed, well, the environmental group benefits because they get to go to their well-heeled donors and say, hey, look what I did. I saved. You know, whatever butterfly was out there and it's going to be green and there's all these electric car charging ports, Mm -hmm. give me more donations so I can continue doing the Lord's work. Right. And meanwhile, who's paying the cost? Mm -hmm. And when you mention, you know, who's really suffering in California, the median person who's really suffering in California is the Hispanic family Mm -hmm. um, who tends, you know, who tends not really, even though there are Hispanic political leaders in the state. I don't, and for the most part, I don't think they really have their constituents' interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I know this might take us a little bit far afield, but um, you know, the election of uh, President Trump in 2016 was just a. Um, a boon for the Democratic Party in California because you always got to have a boogeyman you, mm-hmm. could, you could point to. Mm-hmm. And so the lightning rod was always Donald Trump. If you looked at how many lawsuits Xavier Becerra filed as California Attorney General against Trump, um, if you look at the rallying cry for a lot of progressives, it was about Donald Trump. Well, now Trump is gone. Right. So the alternative has been to paint Larry Elder as mm-hmm. another Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Um, and the Republican Party um, has got if they're going to become politically viable in the state. And I think you know, no matter who you are, no matter you know if you're an independent Democrat, Republican, you want to have political competition. Of course, you so. don't want a one-party state. Of you don't want all bad. Democrats. You don't mm-hmm. want all Republicans. Absolutely. You want to have the best ideas come mm-hmm. out, and you want those people to work cohesively. Uh, Bill Clinton worked with Newt Gingrich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan deals together, the idea of a politician has totally changed. Back in the day, like when I was a kid, a politician meant you did a deal. And a skilled politician is one who did a deal that everybody got something out of. And you could say, yeah, they represented my interests really well. We didn't get everything, but you can't get everything when you're doing the deal. There's everybody's got to feel like they get some out of this. Today, a politician is somebody that has a TikTok account, that has Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and says, I'm fighting against Donald Trump. Or on the other side, I'm fighting against the crazy wokes. Political leaders are here to kind of bring people together.
0: By doing And deals. to actually um, do the legislation, right? The hand wringing and the legislation, the actual work, not uh, streaming yeah, on Twitch. Yeah. The the sequel yeah. thing is is really pernicious, especially you know, you you can think, well, if I'm uh a uh, somebody who benefits in some way from having electric charge ports installed. Maybe I supplied them with the materials. Maybe I have some, my wife has ownership interest in these things. You know, maybe I supply some of the materials to Tesla or whatever, then I can just file the sequel lawsuit and then get them to uh, compromise on this issue. And then here's, a, here's another boon to my business, right? So you have all sorts of pernicious consequences that could result from this all sorts of, you, you brought up a a sort of philanthropic reason why somebody would do that. Uh, but there's business reasons as well, right? That you can destroy somebody. Um, who's trying to build housing for people and benefit from it financially, which is, which is a whole different, you know, candle worms.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, the, I mean, in terms of CEQA another modification to CEQA that I've advocated for, and that many others have advocated for is that there be transparency in the groups who are filing lawsuits against the project. So more often than not, you will see a lawsuit filed on behalf of, for example, Friends of the River or Friends of the Wilderness or Rancho Cucamonga Friends for the whatever butterfly. And they sound like environmental groups, but more often than not they have these groups have just popped up. They have no track record whatsoever. They have no track record whatsoever of environmental advocacy in any way, shape or form. And these are groups that pop up with environmental aims who might be a labor union who wants to make sure that their workers get hired on a project, might be a community action committee who wants, who who, who notes that a neighborhood park is in disrepair because local government hasn't funded maintenance and expenditures and they want the developer to pay for that local park to be to be redone. Um, so another, what I think is totally common sense, totally common sense modification CEQA is that anybody filing a lawsuit, you've got to say who you are and why you're doing this uh, because it's supposed to be for the environment and there was a study done a while back by a, um, a law firm, a law firm that does a lot of work in terms of environmental, environmental lawsuits. And they went through, uh, you know, hundreds of SQL based lawsuits. And what they found is most of the time these lawsuits have nothing at all to do with the environment. These are
0: all special interest type things. That makes sense. And uh, let's transition for a second to the homelessness issue, which is, you know, uh, 50% of homeless people in this country live in California. Despite California having 12% of the population. Uh, this is. want to talk about the changes in california in the 90s not that long ago right when i was growing up you you had homelessness pretty much segregated in places like skid row or downtown you know some in santa monica maybe on the beach and uh today it's pretty much it's equal opportunity right it's everywhere it's all the suburbs it's it's scattered all across the county in wealthy areas and middle class areas and you know still become astronomically bigger in the poor areas what is California doing wrong in terms of the homelessness issue?
1: Well, uh, my, my Hoover column um, this week, it's uh, uh, sorry to be a self-promoter, but if people are interested, I write this column every week called California Please. on Your Mind on the Hoover Institution um, on uh, the Hoover Institution website. And my column this week was exactly about homelessness um, because what we found is, again, um, you know, Go- Governor Newsom was talking about Hey, we spent 13 billion dollars on homelessness. Isn't this great? The problem got worse. How can that? How can that be great? And Republicans, who you know, are essentially pretty much frozen out of state politics because there are supermajorities mm-hmm. in both um, the Senate and the Assembly. Right. Um, they wrote a letter to uh, Governor Newsom asking for a special legislative session about homelessness. They said it's in epic proportions. This is a crisis. Um, look at the streets. Of, look at the streets of San Francisco. Um, there's a, a book now on the bestseller list um, by a fellow named Michael Schellenberger called San Francisco, and he writes mm-hmm. about economic policies there and social policies and the idea of how San Francisco has tacitly not only accepted drug use but really has facilitated drug use by providing. Um, Uh, injection kits and snorting kits uh, and even to kids even to teenagers Um, and is simply uh, you know it it is it is uh, it's not in anyone's best interest including those people whose lives are just out of control Um, and they have their addicts or they have severe uh, substance abuse issues um, and yet we continue to throw money at that at that problem Um, And what we're discovering now is that, you know, chronic homelessness is really all about mental health, emotional issues, or physical health, uh, drug abuse issues. Um, And we're not, we've really kind of swept that under the rug. Um, So uh, Senator Patricia Bates, who's in Laguna Niguel, um, I spoke to her about a week ago, a week or two weeks ago, after she and her colleagues sent this letter to Newsom. Um, and saying, you know, we need to have better accountability and we really need to address this issue of mental health and drug abuse. And she pointed out that psychiatric, inpatient capacity in California per person is among the lowest in the United States. Despite the fact California spends tens of billions of dollars on homelessness every year. Um, Psychiatric and addiction health providers are among the lowest in the country on a per capita basis. So her point is, uh, and she is a former social worker, so she's seen this. She has seen this stuff up close and personal. She said, these are where we can make investments. We need to get these people off the streets and into hospitals, but first we need to build the beds and build the capacity and have health professionals here who can work with these people. Totally common sense, right? Well, that's not what's happening. She also had the idea, which is a great idea, said, you know what, there are groups, demographic groups, where we know that their risk of becoming homeless is, is very high, for example, veterans. Veterans have a very, very high chance of, of becoming homeless. Um, kids from a foster child background have a very, very high risk of becoming homeless. So her point was, hey, we can target these groups. We can provide support to them and counseling. In, including uh, health support, uh, emotional support, guidance, before this happens to them. So let's make investments in these areas. Sounds totally like common sense. So why not have these ideas be part of the conversation? So the Republicans said, let's have a special legislative session so we can talk about all of the facets of what we need to do to make a dent in this problem. So, thus far, the official word from Sacramento has been just pure silence. Newsom hasn't even responded to it. And I think privately he has called it political grandstanding. And just imagine the just imagine people who are living in these cities where you, know, you just see, you see displays of just human misery and sadness um, playing out on right. the streets every day. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, again, you, think you can't about, take your children well, outside either. You can take the children's side. Well, uh, one of my um, one of my closest friends, we've been friends uh, you know like since we were eighth or ninth grade, he lives um, in uh, San Carlos, California, um, probably about ten miles between Silicon Valley and San Francisco. And he took his daughter uh, for lunch to their famous to their favorite restaurant in San Francisco. They drive up there, they park in a they park in a parking structure <laughs> that cost something like twenty dollars or twenty-five dollars for maybe the two hours they were there. Right. They walk out of the parking structure they walk the two blocks of the restaurant. They walked past, three people passed out on the ground. They walked past someone who was defecating on the sidewalk. They were uh, propositioned if they wanted to buy drugs twice. Uh, They saw people shooting up. And this isn't just a two block, this isn't a two block area. So again, this is the progressive, this is the outcome of what Mm -hmm. the progressive vision has become.
0: Would would mandatory institutionalization of some of these individuals who clearly have psychiatric issues um, slash making the addicts either forcing them to maybe get rehab uh, or you know end up, or go to jail for example, having those two as your options. this is what they do in I was in Malaysia last year you no, know, a couple of years ago right before the pandemic. Uh, you know there's no homelessness there and you know, some other states do something like this. Would that sort of be the, the solution to to putting a dent in this problem? You know, that's um, that's kind of a sixty-four dollar question right there,
1: um, because it boils down to issues of, such as civil rights and personal rights and constitutional right. rights, and San Francisco has, has you know completely ignored laws such as vagrancy mm-hmm. laws and ignored law has ignored laws regarding the illegality of using methamphetamine or fentanyl or heroin. They just turned their backs on that. So so what is yes yeah, so so picture what's the answer we don't want people defecating on the street and shooting drugs to the point where they're killing themselves or they're going into an opiate coma and they have to be injected with anti-opiate drugs to bring them back from the dead yeah. that simply is not acceptable I mean I don't think anybody in society would ever say yeah that's okay so now what do you do about that well one possibility is you have to you know you have to bring family into the situation if family is willing to be part of that or if the person does have family. Um, You know, Portugal, uh, I believe in Portugal, drug use is is very lax, or drug Mm -hmm. regulations are very lax, but
0: you don't get to
1: use them out in the street. You don't get to camp right. out on the sidewalks. Yeah. You can't definitely
0: on the street. Portugals uses as an example oftentimes, and then they forget the, the other part, which is how they make it work, is that they're very strict when it comes to actually using your drug use outside and destroying the city. You don't have uh, you know, public parks in Portugal overrun by drug addicts and, and syringes. No, that's it.
1: exactly right. So if you choose to use drugs, you mm-hmm. can't be doing it on the streets. Um, so you, you, want, you want to take care of yourself. Be part of the community and use drugs. Maybe that's maybe that's something you can you can you can deal with. But if you can deal with it, then you have to go get treatment. So um, yes, this would probably require modifying some of the laws on which a person is taken into institutional custody. Okay. And there's just you know there's enormous discussions, arguments going back and forth about the deinstitutionalization of these people. That's you know forty that's forty to fifty years. Uh, now in the river, you know so this has been going on 40, 50 years um, so no easy answers but um, you, we simply can't have the we can't have people living on the streets using drugs like they have uh, if they can't if they can't get it together then uh, I'm in favor of them going into treatment um, even if they say you know what I prefer selling fentanyl on the street corner and and get my six hundred dollars a month from the city of San Francisco and. Just kind of being being me. Um, even if they prefer that, you know, that's unacceptable. So I think I think that is um, I think that has to happen. But yeah. we probably will take some some
0: legal reforms uh, involved with that. I think I think yeah I think Portugal has a, a pretty decent solution for that. We we could probably learn a bit from maybe not incorporating the exact same thing, but similar. And just funny, you know, you talk about San Francisco, the uh, the, the sorts of things that they're willing to actually legislate or, or be uh, aggressive about and the things that aren't like the lifestyle things that you know, destroy local communities. Uh, and, you know, I think you mentioned when your are calling San Francisco now has a higher per capita crime rate than Compton. Is that right?
1: Yes. In terms of uh, overall crime, it is higher than Compton, which was, oh, of course the, uh, yeah, which is, which was the, um, the capital of uh of cocaine distribution and uh people remember you know the crips and the bloods and right, uh, right. essentially drug, drug gangs of south central la that is where that is mm-hmm. where it was going on but it now, it's, uh, now it's uh now san francisco i have a uh, one of my phd students She's from australia she and her boyfriend were um were in san francisco you know just playing tourists they parked their car and they locked it and uh they came back an hour later mm-hmm. and sure enough smash and grab um, mm-hmm. They lost uh, everything in them that was in the car. They lost. They lost their laptops, and they lost their clothes. And, um, and this is just this is unacceptable. This is just this just can't continue. Right. And um, and I think we're starting to see that with, with San Francisco voters. We saw mm-hmm. the recall of the you know uh, of the people on the school board and San Francisco District Attorney uh, Chase Budin, who mm-hmm. you would, who would describe himself as progressive and who has not prosecuted a lot of these crimes, who believes that, at least in terms of actions, looks like he believes in accepting drug use for what it is, he is being recalled.
0: So he right. will face a recall. He's one of the most dangerous officials in public life. It is truly unfathomable, the sorts of things that he's been able to institute. Um, by the way, being against, being against the families of victims even, and I mean, you can just pull up so many different instances where he doesn't. People who actually, uh, there's one instance in particular I read about a couple of months ago where a gang member shot up another gang, killed another gang member, and he was basically left off, let off the hook, and and I, I just I didn't press charges. I, it's just, it's it's like the Joker, but but even more sinister, uh, without any of the charisma. And you know, with regards to to the San Francisco thing as well. I was reading about the uh, – right before we came on about this individual who spent like a couple hundred thousand dollars trying to open up an ice cream store in San Francisco. sure, sure you probably heard of this one. And he couldn't do it. He he's $200,000 down the drain, but because of the, the complexity of all the permits and the ability for other people to protest it, and I think there were some environmental implications, he couldn't even open up an ice cream store in an impoverished area. This guy was an immigrant, of course. So it just gets back to the, these misplaced priorities. What, what do you think are the – couple biggest, you know, regulations or a couple biggest policy mistakes that can be fixed with legislation that would make an impact on California being more economically viable, being more of an opportunity place again, um, you know, being, improving the quality of life of, of everyday people. What comes that, what strikes your mind uh, or comes to your mind in terms of the two or three worst regulations or policies that are currently enacted in California?
1: Well, we spoke about California Environmental Quality Act, and Uh that is um, that has now been um, that that is really being abused uh, in, in so many ways. So it is high time that we reform the California Environmental Quality Act, particularly as it relates to economic development and social development. Um, We should reverse Assembly Bill 5, which essentially prohibits a person from working as an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned, um, you know, unions before, AB 5 essentially says um, that most people now who used to be able to work as independent contractors, now they have to work as a formal employee of the business. Why was that? Well, you yeah. know, unions wanted more people to unionize to get into yeah. collective bargaining situations and, and 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 get their union um, union pay. Um, interestingly, in California, unions brought in nearly one trillion dollars in revenue in twenty twenty one. So when you think about a political war chest, wow. um, you know keep keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So Sequoia and AB five, I think, have been incredibly destructive. Um, we really need, I think, better politicians. Politicians who understand that their job is to fix the normal processes the governments are involved in. Are, there, you know, do, do the, do, are the roads in good repair? Do the schools work? Is there water in the pipes or are we just going to have, you know, are we going to be in tr- trouble every, every, every time when it doesn't rain? Um, are we going to have a regulatory base that chases businesses out? A tax base that chases businesses out? Um, we need better politicians, and we need voters to hold politicians accountable. Um, it's been far too long. The politicians have been able to say pat people on the back and say, "Hey, I'm there for you. I'm doing I'm doing mm-hmm. the Lord's work, and I'm fighting against Trump every chance we get." Well. Trump's gone, and we can't continue to call other Republicans Trump. So I've suggested, in the column I wrote this week, I suggested that I think there probably should be a law that requires an independent audit, auditing agency to rank every legislator on the basis of what they did to contain costs and increase efficiency and reduce waste in government, and send that out to every send that out to every voter. Um, but really it begins with people they've got to demand more they have to demand more and better of their elected officials and until they do we're just going to keep going down the
0: road run right now sad to, sad to say you now let, let's hope they do because this state it would be a real travesty if we continue to let it go down the way that other former prosperous places in this country uh, have gone down, you know, no, 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 Detroit, right. Um, you know, Chicago, and no one even talked about Chicago anymore, unless it's, a, you know, a, a violent incident yeah. that used to be, you know, one you know, a and one B Chicago, New York, and now no one even talks yes. about Chicago anymore. Uh, and yeah. there's, there's no guarantee that California will, will achieve its success it as amazing weather, but you know, we, we can't just let this state just go to hell without. And no, have because, to-
1: um, yeah. And, and when, as we see with places like Detroit and Dearborn, um, Dayton, Ohio, Buffalo, New York—it's—it's um, it's much better. Even even if the decline is substantial, you want to you want to catch it before it hits rock bottom, right? Because you see just how hard it is to bring back these cities when most of the mm-hmm. productive young people have left, and mm-hmm. that is really—that's really the inkling the politicians need to be paying attention to, which is hey, twenty-five year olds, thirty-year-olds, they're leaving. Mm-hmm. We can't have, we just, We can't sustain a state on the basis of a bunch of relatively poorly paid immigrants right. and a handful of aging, highly elite, highly wealthy yeah. dresses. Feudalism is not good. Gonna work.
0: We don't want to live in the feudal state. absolutely. Now, Lee O'Han, thank you so much for being with me. Can you remind uh, the listeners and viewers where they can find uh, your, your great works and writings?
1: Yeah, if uh, go to uh, www.hoover.org, Hoover.org, uh, do a search for my name. Even if you just put in Lee, um, you'll find my writings. And um, yeah, if, if people have questions, uh, I'd be happy to address them via email. Excellent. They
0: can we'll for
1: find that. that. They can find my
0: contact info there too. And we'll we'll, we'll put some that in the uh, the show notes. Thanks so much for uh, being with me. Thanks for your interest. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week.